Okay, so for today's episode of Forward, we have a special guest, Laura Kendall. She's the VP of Marketing at Mad Kudu. Um, she actually just started, and um, I first met Laura about five years ago, I think now, when at the beginning of CS2, and we were supporting her client at the time. And since then, Laura's um, you know, built a great career where she's now heads of marketing and built teams from the ground up. And, um, you know, having a background marketing ops, I thought she'd be a great guest for uh, Ford, uh, mainly because we we work with people just like Laura, you know, yourself and who um, have a strong background marketing ops and build that into their marketing strategy. And we know that a marketing strategy is best executed when you do have a strong marketing ops like supporting that. So welcome to Forward, Laura. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and to see you guys, even though we can't be in person. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> I know. I can't remember when we saw you last in person, actually. I feel like the last few months have just all just blended in. I just lost all track of time and how fast day, time's right? going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so maybe you can give the listeners a little bit of a background um, on yourself and your career and um, how you got to where you are now. Yeah, so I always like to start from the very beginning. Um, <laughs> I actually grew up on a dairy farm in Wisconsin, in rural Wisconsin, so a lot of cows and cheese in my life. Um, <laughs> but I, I actually got started professionally in marketing in college and never really looked back. So I've always been in B2B organizations and actually for the past, I think it's six or seven years now, it's been strictly in B2B SaaS. So that, that shift kind of happened when I first moved to the Bay Area about seven years ago. Um, I'm definitely a more data-driven and um, kind of revenue-focused marketer, I'd say and have always really gravitated towards data and analytics, um, databases sort of thing. Um, and actually to tie back to the fact that I grew up on a farm, I actually used to work with my father um, on an on-prem herd management system. So my, my days in the database were, nice. were quite early. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've, I've, you know, B2B SaaS is just near and dear to my heart and have really enjoyed, you know, over the last four years, I've had the opportunity um, to lead marketing for, for two early stage companies, um, Simple Legal and now at Mad Kudu. So I'm excited to tell you guys a bit more about that. Awesome. And um, I feel like when we have anyone on, I also like having the audience, you know, understand the person, but can you also explain, you know, what you like doing outside of marketing? You know, like what's your kind of jam? Like what, is, what do you like when to you do? When you are allowed to do things outside yeah. of work and staying yeah. at home? <laughs> yeah. And speaking of jam, I actually in quarantine made um, some kumquat marmalade from mm. our backyard. So um, we've been doing a lot of cooking and um, that's, that's kind of kept us busy which is nice. It's, it's a nice change of pace, but, um, you know, outside marketing and work, I've been trying to get into more reading for fun and podcasts. 
like this one. Um, but a lot of what I have most recently been reading and listening to does relate to work. And like, I always find some sort of connection. It's like, oh, well, this is kind of like about leadership or this one's about business. Mm -hmm. So I can definitely tell that I, I do, um, you know, there's not like a very direct line in between work and play, but I, I also appreciate that. And I, I enjoy it because I constantly want to be learning and improving. But I always sneak in like something fun, like a, you know, when life gives you Lululemons or something silly like that. <laughs> so do you have any good book recommendations then? Um, yeah, I mean, right now, one of the books that I'm reading is, um, uh, it's called Do Nothing. And it's kind of about the, this concept that as humans, we're so over, um, we over-index a bit on trying to be more productive and more effective. And this idea that really resonated with me that we used to think about time as something we pass. Like what are the, you know, our pastimes? What are the hobbies and things that we do? And now we think about how are you going to spend your time? Like it's this mm. bit of, um, you know, you can like almost monetize it. It's our most precious, precious commodity. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's a really interesting one that I've been reading. Cool. Check it out. Yeah, it's awesome. I think part of that like concept is also this anchoring on like how busy we are. And in some ways, being too busy is not something that you should really be boasting about, you know, it should be like how you're spending that time of you being busy and what are you actually doing? So I think especially during this time, it's definitely going to make people reevaluate how they spend their time now but also how maybe when we're allowed to have a little bit more freedom again how we can go back and how we're going to spend our time in the future and maybe prioritize things that we didn't prioritize in the past when we felt like we had all the time in the world so i'm yeah, sure a lot of people are going to about that i i think it's a real positive that could come out of this um it used to be so cool if you could tell someone that like, oh, I don't have any free time. Like, mm -hmm. gosh, I wish I could do that. I don't, you know, I don't, how do you have time to do that? Like, it, you, that used to be like a status symbol of like, oh, I don't have time for that or, or I'm too busy. But yeah. I, I think that this is an opportunity for us to, to flip on that and say like, oh, I, I've prioritized my, my free time and, and here's how I, I spend it. It's not, you know, trying to constantly optimize every minute of every day and oh if I'm not you know making this homemade well then I should at least be able to you know plant a garden or at least be able to read that book or at least be able to you know do more laundry like you're, we're always trying to fill the gap yeah, yeah. for sure I, I feel like it, for us it's always like what are we gonna do the weekend what are we gonna do the weekend like kind of mapping it out for months on end and just really trying to fill it up and actually, I've really enjoyed the last few weekends. It's like chilling at home with Ava, our daughter, and Chrissy, you know, just sitting under the orange tree and just hanging out and not really doing anything. Whereas before, I would, I would think that I would just waste my weekend if I didn't, you know, have a hundred things planned. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's definitely an interesting time and it's going to re make everyone reevaluate some things, I think. Yeah. So, speaking of interesting time, I think. Um, one interesting thing that you've recently gone through is you started your current new job, you know, right during COVID, so right during the middle of shelter in place. And so, you know, how has that gone? And I think some of your tips could actually be relatable for 
people who might be doing this right now or who might join a remote team. Um, yeah. So yeah, how has it been doing yeah, that? Definitely interesting. Um, I mean, first, of course, I feel super fortunate that I'm able to work remotely and, and the company Matudu that I've joined is, is set up very well. Um, to that regard, given that we we have two locations and we have team members that are in both the United States and in Paris, France. So um, that to that degree, there's um, it, it's been really helpful. Um, it, it certainly hasn't been the same as the experience where I've been onboarded in person, but obviously mm -hmm. technology that we have today, like Zoom, Slack, I'm on those every single day. Um, that's that's been really great, but you do. Um, you know, you do miss out on a lot of things. There's just the fact that I haven't physically met everyone. Um, you know, I've met a, a handful of people through the interview process. I've been to the office, you know, met people in passing. But other than that, it's been just one-on-one, -on -one, you know, like over video conference, which is great. And actually the other day I realized that um, like I know what everyone looks like and things, but like I don't know how tall they are or like, <laughs> Like, so some of those things, it's just like, it's interesting that, that, you know, as you get to know someone virtually, it's, it is a bit different. Um, yeah. I had that situation with a client the other day, because yeah. um, we always just see each other sat down and I'm yeah. quite tall, six foot five. And I found out that he's all, almost six foot five as well. And we're both like, wait, you're really, you're tall as well. We never knew it. <laughs> the whole time you're just seeing this, just like right. you know, sat down right. human being. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah. And things like body language, you know, you get some of it over um, over Zoom and video conference, but but not a ton. And like when you're like I've presented in front of the company a couple of times and I always like to be able to like see people face to face and really read the room. And it's hard because everyone's muted because it's, you know, you don't want to be distractful. And and so, you know, there's that and, and some casual conversations that might happen in the office or in the kitchen. Um, one thing, and I think I mentioned this to you once, Chrissy, we do use Donut, which is a Slack app um, that kind of randomly puts you or pairs you with another employee each week. And, and you're kind of asked to just set up 30 minutes to get to know like each other and not talk about work. Yeah, it's-, it's That's cool. What's it called again? It's called Donut. Okay. Yeah, yeah. just D-O-N-U-T, right? And it's, yeah. a, it's an extension that you can add on into Slack. Yeah, yeah. I, I, love, I think it's such a great idea, especially um, during this time. And so your onboarding process, how, I know you, as far as like meeting people and seeing people, but has there been anything that you've done to like, once you started to really like dive into things and get to know the, you know, your systems and like, where did you kind of start because you came on and then you are remote so some of that you kind of get by you know you have your team there that you're working with but now it's like assessing okay i probably need to meet with this person and did you develop some goals or did you just start out loose and just want to meet with as many people as you could how how was that kind of process like yeah so i think a couple of things that i did and and i guess i'll i'll preface it with um, I mean, every company is going to be different, right? And like the smaller mm -hmm. organizations likely aren't going to have a super formal onboarding like a much larger organization would be. Mm -hmm. um, there's also, you know, somewhat of an expectation if, if it's a new department, like there's a lot of things that people aren't going to know that you need access to, right? No one has really showed them yet what 
you know, what marketing should look like perhaps, or if you're the first product manager, like you might not know, or they might not know specifically what you need in order to be successfully onboarded. So mm-hmm. the first thing is really just like taking initiative. And, and fortunately, like having done this, you know, at Simple Legal, I, knowing who you need to talk to. And I mean, first of all, you want to make sure that you're just building relationships and rapport mm-hmm. with your new team. Um, but also like you want to get, you know, you're going to have a list of questions that you want to know regardless of, of what, you know, who you sell to, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, setting up as many of those one-on-one conversations you, as you can early on, I think is helpful um, because you would probably just walk over to their desk or, you know, give them a call if they were in a different office anyway. So I, it's not really breaking the kind of onboarding norm. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think another thing that helped me was kind of developing a note-taking system. I like mm. try to be very organized and I've been told that I am, but I, you know, often feel a little bit scatterbrained, but what I did was put, and, and I just use like notes, like the native notes app mm-hmm. and just did like a one for each person or like at least each department. And when like a question or a comment that I had would pop into my head, I would put it underneath that person's name or that department. And once I had a few or, or felt like they were big enough that it would warrant, you know, at least like a five minute conversation, I would schedule like a quick video check in with them. Um, because, well, first of all, I wanted to do video as opposed to just like slacking people as these things come up because I want that FaceTime and I want to be able to, like I said, build that rapport and that, that relationship with them. Mm-hmm. And secondly, you know, when you're asking someone a question, like, and, and you get an answer asynchronously, you, it's going to spur another question. And then it, it, that can, you know, that can tend to go on for a couple of days sometimes, depending, you know, if maybe you're in a different time zone. So being able to have that conversation live can mean, you know, the difference between understanding a process today versus next week. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. That's such a good idea because as well, you're being very considerate with their time and yeah. not just like yeah. sending just a Slack thing, <laughs> a Slack message every single time something pops into your head. You're like, okay, once I have a big enough question or something that, or a few questions, then I'll, then I'll, you know, steal some of their time to get all of these answers instead of just like, just sending these slacks out like crazy and just bogging everyone down, trying to answer them. I realize that. Yeah, and I think that, uh, especially for startups, like you said, I think it's gonna be different depending on the size of the company. Um, for, but for small and medium businesses, I think people be amazed like how much of that like core knowledge really sits up here yes. in a certain amount of people and is not documented. So you do kind of need to have a lot of that like extracting discovery really done over a calls or things like yeah. that. So um, yeah. definitely it's suggesting that this reminds me of though too, especially with like, you know, pinging someone on Slack all the time, everyone has really different styles. And mm. one thing like that I, and I, you've heard about this a lot, I'm sure, but we've actually implemented leveraging user manuals. So everyone kind of jots down, you know, here's the best times to reach me. Here's how I operate. If it's something urgent, connect with me this way, you know, for non-urgent quick questions, you know, use this channel for, for more structured things, use this channel. And I think that for, organizations and teams that are going full remote, like right now, 
that can be really helpful. So not only for the person that's having to ask the questions to like set some expectations, but for the recipient to not feel like, oh my gosh, they've you know sent me a Slack at 9 p.m. Do I need to respond right now? So um, I, I just wanted to share that because I think it was, for me, it was very helpful. Um, so, you know, part of the important, you know, part of marketing for us, like is really the people, there's like the process, people performance is definitely the core pillars, I think for us, for at least for marketing ops. And so I know that I've seen you like single-handedly build a marketing team from the ground up at your last role. And, um, you know, Mad Kudu is a relatively, you know, fast growing, but still small company. And I expect you to potentially do the same there. So, you know, do you have any kind of ideas on where you see or how you see doing that you know today and given the current state of your team and um you know what you're thinking about how you're going to grow out the team yeah so i mean i think being the this being kind of the second time around is it's honestly such a an awesome opportunity and um I feel really fortunate to have experienced it. So I have a bit of understanding and know what to expect in terms of some of the craziness that comes with it. Mm -hmm. um, and what I'm trying to remember and, and keep in mind, right, is that, you know, after um, a year, after two years, after three years, then you, you constantly look back and you're like, wow, I remember when we didn't have this and oh my God, mm. it feels so good that we, we did that and we started there or, I can't believe we thought that was a good idea and you know <laughs> how far you've come and you've iterated since then or like i'm so glad that we we started and we focused on that um mm -hmm. so i think that's like before even like considering like oh my god there's so much to do and there's so many you know different ideas that everyone has that it's important to make sure that you're you're starting with a baseline um as far as you know something that I learned at my last role doing this is how much I had to lean on my network. Um, you know, coming from maybe, maybe you're in a company where you've got, you know, 30 other marketers that you're working with. Um, you can take for granted the fact that you have all of this, you know, knowledge and, mm -hmm. and expertise around you to, you know, pick their brains or, you know, run an idea past them. And so I found like leaning on my network and, and kind of being forced in a situation that required me to do that was really empowering and, and it really helped me, I think, grow. And so that's something that I definitely plan to do more of. Um, I think it's a great mm -hmm. way to find different perspectives, um, mm -hmm. continue to learn, and not only about learning about marketing, but just about being a better you know, teammate and a better collaborator and business leader in general. Um, I'm also you know, what I did at, you know, other similarities, I think between the two is, is spending a lot of time figuring out our positioning and, and our messaging as a company, you know, being um, in an, an early startup, you know, I think that's super, super impactful. And, and I feel really fortunate that the Mad Kudu team is completely bought into that. Um, and the fact that positioning is really your competitive advantage um, mm. Especially now when things like technology and, and your automated processes are, are, you know, they can tend to be a little bit of table, table stakes. Like, I expect that you already know where I live or where my company is and what my title is. And the fact that I downloaded content from you and saw you at an event three days ago, 
right? Like I expect that you already understand all things about me and that the message you're, you're sending my way is relevant. Um, and so I think that that messaging piece and um, getting that right early on is super important. The last thing that is, is probably almost even, I wouldn't say more important, I don't wanna play favorites on this, but um, <laughs> early on is really setting up the foundation operationally. So mm. some of it, um, again, even looking back, it feels so basic, like making sure that you're dispositioning leads and, and giving a reason for it, making sure that you're tracking every engagement that a company, you know, prospect or customer, um, is having with your with your company and your CRM, and then even like date stamps. Like, when did someone become an MQL? When did someone you know get recycled? When did you know this person become a customer? When did this user log in last? Um, and so, I think it's really great to be able to have such a fresh and uneventful Salesforce instance. <laughs> it's really like a, a blank slate and a clean canvas um, and you get to build it out in a way that works best for you so for sure I think that's the great part about building is that sometimes undoing what's already done can take so much time and you do maybe have to then make some sacrifices where if you mm -hmm. are building from scratch you can really you know look to, okay, let me spend more time figuring out, these are all of our options. What's going to be the best one? What's going to be the one that scales? Um, right. And it's a, it's a nice place to be in instead of having to clean up everything. Um, so I think one of the things, like you said, you're data driven and I assume for you, you also are, you know, goal driven, or you like setting goals for yourself, especially because you are someone who likes looking back a year and seeing where you've progressed. And, um, you know, since joining, have you done any like kind of goal setting for yourself and the team? And how, how has that process been? And um, can you maybe like speak to one of those goals and maybe how you're going to measure yourself against that? Yeah, so actually at Medkudu, we use OKRs, which is great. Um, I love that framework. Um, and so, and I don't think I mentioned this before, I'm like almost exactly 30 days in, so, so just a oh. month. Yeah, and um, so I, I bring that up mainly because early on it was, as I was thinking about like, what does this 90 day plan look like for me? It became really apparent that like, and, and it's not anything new, it's not, you know, pandemic or otherwise, it, this is the case, but um, you know, a 90 day plan is really a balance between, you know, you've come in as a marketing leader and you have to show some kind of quick wins and, and, you know, kind of show your worth and, you know, justify the fact that, that they're investing in this department and, you know, so on and so forth. But on the other hand, you don't want to just become a very reactive part of the business and instead want to make sure that you give yourself and the team ample time to uncover what insights there are. So I think that there's um, there's there's kind of a balancing act there that that comes into play. So I will say that these early goals are are probably less um, data backed than I you know tend to like. Mm -hmm. but I think having goals around getting up, up to speed and being able to uncover insights is is still just as important. Um, uh, a couple goals I can I can talk about though, like to to kind of paint that picture. So you mentioned like um, being revenue focused. So one of them, obviously, being in marketing, is 
you know, how do we make sure and ensuring that we hit our goals for pipeline and revenue, which of course then trickles down to like, how, you know, how are you going to achieve those goals? Um, and so like, for example, we've got a decent stream of demo requests coming each week, but um, we plan to do a bit more of like a bottoms up approach. So really thinking about, you know, for quick wins again, how are the prospects that are already in our funnel and in our database that have already engaged with us at some point and at some level, um, how do we turn them into, you know, qualified pipeline for, for our sales team? So instead of, you know, someone who doesn't know about Mad Kudu yet, and, you know, certainly we want to target them and, and they're very relevant to our business, but for the short term, getting someone up here all the way down to qualified for sales versus someone who's already aware of us in our database and engaged qualified for sales is, is two different things, I think. Yeah, especially in these times. Yeah. Like, as when attention might be a little bit, or people might be a little bit more distracted and maybe less open to researching things they're not already currently researching. Right. So yeah. to find those people that are already you know, showing intent or some signals or engaged with you in the past already, um, it's definitely that area to to prioritize because, and not forget about. And I think Chrissy talks about this a lot. A lot of companies end up, they have the process set up where leads come in, they engage with something, they hand them off to sales and they don't engage with them again. And then sales might not have the best process to be you know, working them as well. Or educating them. Like, uh, I think we just automatically assume, oh, sales is good at nurturing. Right. It's like, not, not, not so much, <laughs> you know, like, especially, you know, they're focused on maybe one core thing. We, we all, and Charlie talks about this a lot. Behavior is driven based on goals a lot or like what we're measured on. And for SDRs, they're, they're focused on meetings, right? And they're not thinking, oh, I need to actually educate this person in order to get the meeting. They're just mainly focused on by any means necessary, I need to get this meeting. Mm -hmm. And even, and then obviously you'd hope that you would have goals around the, the quality of that meeting. And if it turns into exactly. pipeline, a lot of companies don't, and they end up with a lot of meetings in their pipeline. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I, I love, um, one of the things for like small companies is you, and like, like during this time where it's hard to get their attention, but also if you just focus on the people that are really interested in you, convert those to customers, that is then going to be marketing that you can use to drive more customers, like inbound, like have those customer stories or those users that can talk about you on a webinar or, um, you know, people that are going to be on, you know, channels saying like, look at all this cool stuff I've been doing with Makudu. That is what drives customers, right? And so if you really just optimize on converting those people that are coming to you, especially when resources are low or if your um, budget is not, you know, huge, that'll just help make your marketing to people who are cold or those target accounts that you do have a lot easier because you have the customers to back it up in those stories. So I think that is a great place to start. Yeah. And I think another, and it's, you know, I think it's absolutely important that, you know, even during this time, I mean, we're still a, a SaaS company. We're still a business with customers and investors and, you know, all mm -hmm. of that stuff. So it's not like we can turn off this goal of achieving pipeline and revenue. But I also mm -hmm. think that it warrants and is really a good time and candidly, I think it's like a blessing it, that I started during this because 
it really forces marketers to kind of get rid of all of the noise and think about like, what is the mm. absolutely most important thing? Mm-hmm. And um, I just think that that's probably what we all should be doing anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, well, in the good times, we're just like, oh, I'll try this, I'll try this, I'll try yeah. it. And it's always good to experiment. I think everyone, experimentation is good, but sometimes it goes too far and you end up you know, you're doing a thousand things kind of well, as opposed to just 10 things really, really, really well. Right. But I mean, so I'm interested, how, how have you, so obviously there's been a lot of talk around everything moving to online and like everyone's doing online events and webinars, that kind of stuff. How have you, obviously you've just been in Maracudi for 30 days, so you're probably still developing this. It might be hard to answer, but how have you been thinking about this, you know, reality that we're living in with the shift to online, with no, um, in-person and you know offline events uh, possible how have you thought about that so I mean these are extraordinary times right like we're in a, a massive change state and we're using this again as an opportunity to think about how we're positioning and messaging ourselves so that we are being persuasive and relevant to who we're trying to attract so I think pausing and making sure that you're you know, you're hitting those points well is, is a really good use of time right now. Um, mm-hmm. We're also thinking about, all right, pre-pandemic, what were the channels that we were testing and using and, and how did our customers operate and, and how do we think that's going to shift post-pandemic? And like for me as a marketer, and, and you, I'd be curious what you guys um, think or how you're acting as well, but I've even changed how I, I interact with people just, you know, being at home, like even, you know, going on walks, and, and listening to podcasts, even though I commuted every day, I wasn't really listening to podcasts. And now all of a sudden I'm listening to them more. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, there may not be a good reason for that. So really kind of thinking about the before and after um, before trying to go too heavily into one tactic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about something similar on our podcast last week um, because it's kind of the, the promise of content is to educate people and provide something very valuable a lot of companies do that partly but sometimes the goal of content gets a little bit pushed in the wrong direction where it just needs to be a lead gen tool so we're just like okay really the goal is to just get someone to fill out a form doesn't really matter if they read it or not you can only see the this pretty picture if you fill out this form exactly yeah we'll show you like a little bit of the top but if you want to see the rest well uh, you got to fill out this form um and so, yeah, so then it, it, when it turns into too much of a lead generation tool, you forget that really you want them to read it and consume it. And that's going to be the thing that influences the purchasing decision. You know, not just getting their email address and then sending right. them a load of emails. Yes, we can continue to nurture them if that happens, but allowing them maybe to nurture themselves. But I think during this, you know, time, it's, it's forced people to really make sure that their content cuts through the noise because everyone's shifting into this, you know, we've got to do, you know, a podcast or videos or um, webinars and on a virtual events, and they've got to make sure they are really hyper relevant, but also just really useful and interesting. And there's kind of the new content formats that I've noticed more these days around just like the Zoom calls that people are doing, you know, yeah. or like where, and then, cause a lot of people, they, you know, me included, I want to know what everyone else is doing during this time. So like mm-hmm. there's this eagerness and appetite for the, for content that maybe has gone up and then companies are responding through like better 
content and better you know ways to you know, educate their audience so i think there has been an interesting shift over the last few months yeah and i think part of what you said i think really nailed it you're like you know for the books and for podcasts you're saying on your free time you're you like when it connects and can help make you better at mm. your job and i think when you think about like you said you know time is scarce and um, where we want to spend that time is really where it has that one, two punch, like you're entertaining yourself, but then also you're learning. And so I think you'll continue to see more of this content really focused on knowing that the goal for that person is to learn to be better at their job. And that's the value of that. Um, it, we're going to continue to see the content that does that because it's overwhelming, right? It's so hard to even be an expert in your field, especially in B2B tech. You know, you are now, you know, messaging people in revenue operations. It's almost impossible to stay up on top on everything. And that's part of the reason why we like having this podcast or putting out content because you, you have to have this very like driven mindset that you're constantly learning, constantly needing to improve because otherwise your skills will be outdated in no time. Yeah. Like a full-time job just to stay up to, to speed on the different technologies that are at our disposal and all the different tactics and ways to connect things. So, yeah. And I think all marketers are now feeling that for the first time, right? They're all now being forced to use new tools. They're forced to think a different way. They're forced to, you know, almost everyone's a digital marker now because we have to be and so i think everyone's getting that taste of what that feels like maybe they have a little bit more sympathy for their marketing ops uh revenue ops people but but yeah. speaking of that i think one of the awesome things i said why having you on as well is because your background in marketing ops and i think leading marketing you've really built a strong you know backbone at your last job for in you know the revenue ops side and that was kind of what helped you really execute your strategy um and like how important is that to you especially now that you started a new role and um you know your team is just getting kind of built out but is that part of your goal to kind of do the same thing? Are you focused on some operations? Or is there some things that maybe you are not focusing on because you really just need to scale? What's kind of your mindset right now on that? Yeah, so it's like still so, so important. And like it's, you know, priority one or two on the list. Um, and I think, you know, depending on the type of market you are, like maybe the first thing you do might not be this. Um, having done it this way before, and, and seeing how beneficial it was, like hands down, like not even a question and absolutely something we need to focus on. Because if we're going through any form of agile marketing or you know, purposefully poking at many different channels, if we don't first have a process that we can be comparing apples to apples, we, like, we don't know if any experiments are working, right? Mm -hmm. um, and especially early on. And I think it's also important to remember that it's not always about measuring everything mm -hmm. today or next week. Like it's, it's also setting it up so that a year from now, mm -hmm. when you have more data, when you have more campaigns set up, that you're able to measure what you want to measure then. So mm -hmm. like what are, like, how do you want your reports to look or what are the key things that you're going to want to measure? And that was probably the hardest for me early on was like, 
I don't know. Like, we don't know yet what channels are going to be most relevant. We, you know, it, it, it feels like you're trying to, you know, put the, the cart before the horse or mm -hmm. before the cart. Any bad analogy. One, one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> the horse. <laughs> horse before the cart. Yeah. I think. But um, it, it's more about like making sure you have the, the foundation um, because otherwise yeah. it's not that difficult. Like you can't be sophisticated. You can't stand up really cool campaigns because um, you know, you're not really going to know the impact that they're going to have. Totally. I I've almost compare that kind of mindset is when, you know, you're ultra prepared and maybe you, you know, at the end of the ski season, you buy like a jacket on sale, but you have to put it away. And a part of you feels like, why am I doing this or something? But it, it's like 70% off. And then before you know it, it's ski season again. And now you have that jacket and you're just like thanking yourself. Yes, that's exactly why I did this. I you know, like, where you're going with that. But that, I feel like when you're a marketer and someone then comes to you a year later and goes, how have your campaigns performed this year? And you're like, shit, you know, I, oh, hold on a second. Now then I you, have to build my report. Now I need to try and figure <laughs> out my campaign point. Like you're a year too late, right? So if you just set yeah. yourself up, you're really thinking about, like you said, your future self and being able to tap into that. And I, I think that's key because like you said, rea you know, being reactive, we're, you know, we're busy sometimes. We have a lot of priorities and sometimes we want to just stay reactive and, um, I think that's, you know, kudos to you. Like you're thinking about your future self. And, and like you said, you're trying not to be too reactive now because now is the time to set yourself up for success in the long run. Yeah. And like the, I mean, if you're in any sort of leadership role too, like you can't, you can't not have answers to those questions. Like you're, no. you're not doing yourself or candidly the marketing department as a whole, any favors by not leading with data and not leading with, you know, here's my hypothesis and here's what we're going to be testing and why, because you have to be showing the organization why you are such a valued part. And it's not just because you're the brand and you're also the communications behind it. And you're, you know, everyone's first impression of the company and the product at, at large, but because you're actually driving and contributing to pipeline and to revenue. And that's, I think, where for me, it connects so much to the vision and, and the proposition that we have at Mad Kudu, because that's truly what we're trying to solve. Mm. Yeah, I, I love, that's music to my ears, honestly, because <laughs> I feel like there's this weird, um, I see some stuff on LinkedIn sometimes, and there's this weird battle between people who think marketing should, like, not, I don't think they're saying they sh it shouldn't be measured, but they're like, oh, you can't really measure it. You know, it's, it's people, I guess, maybe you've come not through the ops realm yeah. or haven't really um, had a work to the company like you that's really had a, a marketing revenue or a pipeline target. Mm -hmm. um, and they're like, oh, it's too complicated. You know, it's never going to be, you know, accurate. And they've got all of these reasons why, but to be able to prove the value of marketing to the business is just so important. I think that's the piece that they forget. I know it's like, can be very complicated. You take a lot of work to do. Maybe you have to invest in tools and, but to be able to prove the value is critical because otherwise you're just a cost center and what's, why should they be giving you any budget to do anything if you're not impacting um, pipeline and the bottom line? Yeah. So like if you want to, 
Yeah, sorry, no, carry on. Go. I was gonna say even better if that measurement is in fact what the rest of the company is talking in. Like if it's, mm -hmm. here's how much revenue this webinar campaign is gonna bring. And, and here's, you know, if we took a, a, a snapshot of the funnel yesterday, here's the predicted revenue or how much we can estimate is going to come from all of our marketing activities based on the data that we already have. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time it's, it's directional, right? You're not saying like the, the goals, you know, especially when you're starting now, it's got to be super hard to come up with goals, right? You, cause you don't have much historical data that you can use. So a lot of the time it's going to be that mixture of, you know, art and science to try and figure it out and it helps direct the company. And obviously one of the big reasons why you even have goals is because you, you're trying to point the company and the marketing team in a certain direction. So like if you have goals for pipeline, the type of marketing that you're going to do is going to be different than if you have goals for like lead gen, you know, mm -hmm. and of course you can have both, but, but if you just have a lead goal, you know, you might as well just like get one content syndication vendor and just tell them to send you thousands of leads. But if you have a pipeline goal, you're not going to do that. You can do something different. Maybe you will you incorporate multiple channels and do events and do certain other activities. There is a fine line of being like too overly metric obsessed. But to your point is as, as long as you're able to like prove the value, try and tie yourself to the pipeline and revenue. And yes, there's going to be things that maybe you're doing brand wise, but Hey, like you can see my website traffic went up this much. Oh, we happen to also then see that, um, you know, meetings are occurring more often or the meetings or that we do get or more demo requests are coming through because you are, you know, our average time spent on site is longer and those people are converting to demos. Like, let's step out of just the normal framework of like MQL to opt or whatever, and really just go, okay, these are the things that we've been doing. These are the changes. And this is how I can actually tie those behaviors to success and to what's, um, you know, making pipe, creating pipeline or contributing to revenue. So how do you, I was just going to ask, so how do you just come in and, and you don't have that historical data with the company, you know, like um, you know, like your current company where it's a smaller company and you're the, you're the new VP and you don't have a lot of historical data to work with and you're trying to create these goals and you know mm -hmm. what's sort of like how do you even where do you even start at that point yeah it, that's a really good question and um, I think what's more important right now is like just starting with anything like just mm -hmm. do you know err on the side of, of doing so you can start building those baseline metrics, like even just sending, like we put a, we put a blog post out and like this, we're going to send it out to our subscriber database just because I want to start seeing like how, based on who's in our database, what, what should I expect out of, you know, mm -hmm. a, a click through rate or, or an open rate of emails? Like how do they engage with that? Um, mm -hmm. and so, like gather your benchmarks yeah. first and then build your goals. Yeah. But I also think it's, it's important to, to leverage a bit of like industry, um, but like benchmarking, um, all of that, of course, should be taken with a grain of salt because those companies are at such vastly different stages in their growth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yes, we're all tech, but there's so many different kinds of tech. Like, are you a freemium model? Are you like an enterprise sales? Are you, you know, something in the middle? Um, so yeah, it's, it's not, it, it's more about telling the story and just moving than it is about trying to find the perfect metric to measure. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I think for you, you mentioned you're focusing on those like small wins that you can focus on. So it's really like, okay, these demo requests are the people that are coming to us. Like I've been able to increase our conversion rate by X amount. And then that's converting into pipeline. Like for someone coming into an organization where maybe you don't have any of that history of campaigns, that's one place that, like you said, you can focus on, you can optimize while at the same time you're building your strategy to actually, you know, for your campaigns and then, um, you know, running those. So you have some historical data. So I think that. And I think measuring all of it is important, right? Like I don't think that, you know, I know there's a lot of talk about like, is the MQL dead? And, you know, Charlie, I know you're very passionate about that topic, but I think it's still important to measure. It's the difference between whether something's a leading indicator or a lagging indicator. And mm -hmm. every metric and every, you know, measurement has its place, but you just have to use it correctly. I agree. And I think maybe sometimes I come across as, as wanting to kill the MQL. <laughs> and I might be like the prime suspect if it was ever found dead, but I, I agree. I think I just see so many times it, it misused. And I think to your, to your point, like if you have that mentality, like whether it's a leading indicator or not, it, it, is, it, is, it has its place within your, your demand funnel. Mm -hmm. And it is good to measure because it is showing you, uh, you know, that the fit and behavior matrix so is the, are we getting the right people in and are they showing activity and how many of these and is it going up or is it going down? But where it kind of, it gets a little bit lost is when people, you don't have a revenue or pipeline target, you just have an MQL type, kind of like I just mentioned before, where you're trying to point the team in the right direction. And if you're just focusing on MQLs too much, they often get pointed in the wrong direction and they create a ton of MQLs, but then no pipeline and your MQL to pipeline conversion rate is very low. But I don't think that's what you're saying. You're saying it is a useful metric for, what I did, for the reasons I just mentioned, but then, you know, you also have your pipeline goals. Yeah. So in that case, you have the best of both worlds. Yeah, yeah. even more than that, even. Um, and I think, like, exactly what Chrissy was saying, like, if you task an SDR team to schedule meetings, like, they're going to optimize if their goal is scheduling meetings. Like, marketing is going to optimize and run more programs that have a higher propensity to um, contribute to the MQL number. But what might be the case is those MQLs don't actually become paying customers, mm -hmm. they just, mm -hmm. you know, raise their hand and then, you know, go on their merry way. Yeah. And then the definition. Or they, or they just, or, or the marketing ends up just, are you, are you about to say this? Yeah. You just change your MQL model and get more MQLs the next week, you know? But I think oh, my, that, that, I'm not getting enough MQLs. <laughs> Oh, why don't we just bring the threshold down a bit? Oh, okay, cool. We're hitting our MQL numbers. Yeah. And <laughs> I think that's a good lead scoring model. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, the, I mean, that kind of brings that bridges the gap to, um, you know, maybe like, like your company at MadKudu, yeah. there might be some tools that can actually help you optimize that or put some actual, you know, real oomph behind so that but, you can make some decisions earlier on. Um, but then to, to your point earlier, you mentioned having a metric that is and a goal that is the company goal and metric, right? Like the company is there to, you know, obviously the company with a mission and everything that's, you know, not a financial goal, but it's also there to make money, right? It's also there to generate revenue. And if marketing is constantly going, look at all of our MQLs, but you're not also able to say, look at all of our pipeline we've contributed. You're not speaking the same language as everyone else. And everyone kind of starts losing faith in 
maybe what's marketing uh, today. Yeah. I mean, especially the CEO and, and your sales counterparts, right? Like mm -hmm. if they don't have trust in you, then that's, you know, that's a pretty big red flag. For sure. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for being um, on the podcast today and for everyone watching, you know, look out, you know, for Mad Kudu and I'm sure you're going to be contributing to their blog and um, we will be linking to your uh, LinkedIn. So for anyone who wants to stay in touch with Laura, um, definitely try and connect with her on LinkedIn and you know, hopefully, you know, maybe a year from now, we do a follow-up and see how your first year went and we can check in on those goals and um, talk about what's the next phase once you started to build out your marketing strategy. So thank you so much. Okay. I would love that. And hopefully I will have met everyone in my company by then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is, that, is that one of your goals? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, hopefully we'll get to see you again. See you again.